Welcome back to Let's Thrive the Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Feichels, and today we have a, another Emily guesting on the show, and I am oh so excited to share this episode. Emily and I both met here in Austin, Texas, actually. First, it's just so weird to talk about another person with your exact name, and even in the podcast, there were a few moments where she referred to me and I referred to her, and it's just, there's a lot of Emily happening in this episode, but going back we met she moved here reached out we connected we went for a walk and talked and just i don't know just vibed on a very similar wavelength have very similar views and i just love 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 the work she is doing to help others and specifically support those in recovery whether that's from an eating disorder disordered eating or just someone trying to get a better overall relationship with food body image health etc She's an RD and a phenomenal human being. I can say that from meeting. And she always comes into two hands where I work currently. So I get to see her quite often. And I'm just so happy to share her wisdom, her insight, her thoughts with you all today. If you like the episode, if you resonate, you can let us know. We are both on Instagram and I'll have those linked and spelled out for you below. But without further ado, I'm going to jump into this episode with one last reminder If you like this show, if you take anything away from it, it means oh so much if you can support it by leaving a review, sharing with a friend, sharing on social media, whatever it is, a little bit goes a long way to help support, you know, at the end of the day, a passion project (laughs) that I just do in my free time, which is not often. (laughs) So with that said, enjoy the episode. For anyone who's just, you know, not familiar with you or you're just like a new face, a new name to them. How would you describe like this season of life? So what are you up to? What's top of mind? Just to sort of set the scene as we ease into like this conversation. Yeah. So hi, everybody. Uh, My name is Emily. I am an intuitive eating registered dietitian. And what I specifically do is I help women heal the relationship with food through an intuitive eating framework. So essentially, if you have a history of an eating disorder, history of chronic dieting, or maybe you're still in that phase of like, not really having just a healthy relationship with food. Um, That is the specific population of people that I work with. And so, yeah, no, honestly, I've been in a super just busy period of my life right now. I am really working on just, I have like my entrepreneur hat on and just like really working on like creating a program that's going to better suit that population of people. Cause honestly, I feel like it's really hard for people in that situation where they're not having this healthy relationship with food to get access to the care, like the quality care that they need to improve their relationship with food. And so, you know, I understand there's a really big gap for a lot of people. So what I'm putting together is a program that's going to help people at a lower cost, um, get the actual, you know, I guess, help that they need um, to better the relationship with food without having, you know, to go to just a really expensive program or something that's going to be really um, time costly as well. Um, so yeah, I've been really just working on that. And with everything else, I'm trying to fit in a social life <laughs> somewhere in there, you know? <laughs> yep. Oh, yeah. I love that. And I love even the way you describe, you know, just to better a relationship or even differentiating between the fact that I think so often people get caught up in like, oh, well, I don't have an eating disorder or, you know, I don't have like disordered eating, but like so many people, and I'm sure you see this, like even in day-to-day conversations, going out to eat, talking with potential clients, like just 
I think everybody has like their own struggles, you know, in some way with either like body image or food, maybe not. But I think what like, I love people like you doing this sort of work where it's, it's opening up to like all ranges of people, right? Like, even if you just have like a few little issues with food or a few little issues with body image, like trying to like work on those before they escalate, or even just to like live a more like free and fully present life. Like, I love that. I feel like, I, I don't know. It seems to me like your approach is very, you know, uh, approachable <laughs> to literally like anybody in their like struggle state. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's really what, um, I like to do as a dietitian is like, I, I really try to make this as broad yet specific as possible, because I feel like with disordered eating and just having that diet mentality a lot, I mean, and especially after working with clients over the years, I've picked up on just really common trends within this population of people. And, you know, I, I'm able to see like what the bigger, the bigger issues are at hand. And, have created a program to help with those bigger issues. And actually like, I think a lot of people too don't have this awareness of what those smaller things are like those like common diet traits. Mm -hmm. And so really being able to, I guess, help you recognize what those are. Um, and even kind of like going into like what your values are as a person and being able to like separate the two. Um, so yeah, no, I think it's, I guess kind of what you touched on is it's a really common issue yet. I, th I don't think that the awareness that how big of an issue it can be is there for a lot of people. A hundred percent. And I want to touch base on both sides, the, what, what you just said, like the bigger things that you work with people on. And then also like the smaller, maybe more like hidden, you know, people might not even realize that it's, you know, not maybe like um, the most quote unquote normal or whatever mindset to have around food or something like, you know, whatever it is. So I guess to start out, could you share some of those like maybe like seemingly smaller, more hidden sort of like even could just be misconceptions about what's healthy, like the maybe like the hidden dangers that diet culture can kind of like sneak into so many people's minds. And we just might not even realize that it's like actually an issue, you know? Yeah. Great question. No, I think that there's so many things that this can start out as. Um, so diet culture, if anybody's familiar is basically just this influence that social media specifically has on a lot of people to, and I would say just like the general media of like television as well has created for people to lose weight, control their body, like have really just restrictive eating habits. And so I definitely think that some of the big ones are, and I guess, yeah, big ones are clean eating like that, that, that phrase clean eating, or just having this like good versus bad food mindset of like, there are just like these acceptable foods versus not acceptable foods, healthy versus unhealthy. Um, and I think the extent to which an individual classifies what is good versus bad really does determine how severe the disordered eating can be because some people really do take this to the extreme where it becomes something where you feel really guilty or you really feel ashamed for eating something that is not um, deemed as acceptable or good for you. So I definitely think that that just entire mindset is um, a big thing. And I think too, just going into that, like skipping meals, like intermittent fasting, all these like fad diets, like keto or like going really low carb or um, I don't know, like what are the other diets out there? Like, um, 
there's just so many to honestly that it's just ridiculous truly no and I think I think like that bigger like you said there's like the small aspects but they can like spiral into bigger things right and I know just speaking from like personal experience and why this is resonating with me is that when I I did have like a diagnosed eating disorder that then like slowly got a little bit better, but then developed into like orthorexia or like the obsessive with like obsession with like clean eating and all that. And what started as like a simple, like, oh, I'm just going to like be aware or mindful of what ingredients are my food, which can be very innocent. And maybe if you're in a great mindset, you can just have awareness. But for me that like over time spiraled with all these other like diet culture influenced thoughts into being like, I knew I had an issue when I realized that like, I would rather starve and not eat like all day than eat these specific like foods or restaurants or whatever, just because I was like afraid of the ingredients or I was afraid of like the, the way they, whatever it was. Right. So it was like a simple, simple, like seemingly small thing that spiraled into something like absolutely insane to starve rather than eat food because of like ingredient fear something like that you know like I don't know I'm sure you've seen that with like some clients as well and if so like I guess how do you work with people like on these types of issues do they usually come to you like aware like hey I'm afraid of like these foods do you sort of like figure it out over time or I'm just curious like how that works like if somebody were considering like work working with someone like you or doing something like a program like that like I guess, what level of awareness are people at? It, it definitely is on a spectrum. I think some people come to me knowing exactly what they're struggling with and like what they need help with. And I think some people just genuinely do not know like what is healthy versus unhealthy. And that's kind of like why I, I set up an initial, you know, discovery call with them to see like what's going on, like, how can I help you? And then I really get to see, okay, I can, you know, from then, from hearing them talk, pick out what their biggest struggles may be and, you know, seeing if I can actually help with these issues. Um, And I would say too, that like, I think many people really do struggle with that fear, kind of having this fear-based mindset with food that, like you said, can start off as just like, just as like this, like, I'm going to, nobody can see that, but I'm like putting up air quotes, like this innocent diet or this innocent, like, I just want to be healthier. Um, but then over time, you know, you start to develop food rules, you start to develop these food fears. Um, the rigidity starts to come in and you feel like, you know, unless I'm following these rules, I'm not going to be healthy or, you know, so I, I would say that like, if you've kind of resonate with Emily, right with that, um, you're not in the minority because I feel like a lot of people do struggle with these issues. Yeah. And I guess like, if, if that is the case, how do you work with people on that? Because I know for me, it's been like a long road working on food fears and it's been listening and learning from people like you in this field of how to approach that. But I'm just curious, you know, as someone like on a more professional level, working with people every, all the time, how do you work with somebody on their food fears or food rules, for instance? Yeah. No, I, I usually like to start off by having them tell me like, what are you 
fearful of, like, what are your food fears? Um, first of all, and like, what are your food rules? And then really taking things step-by-step. I think too, if you just expect that all your food rules and food fears overnight are just going to not be there and that you're just going to be able to listen to your body and intuitive eating is just going to be simple. I think you're just setting yourself up to fail. So I think it's really important to take these really step-by-step. And so I work with my clients to kind of debunk and separate that fact from fear. So they're able to approach their fear foods um, with more ease um, coming from my nutrition background. So I think sometimes too, a lot of these fears can be developed off of like false ideas or false beliefs um, through diet culture. And a lot of these foods that people are ending up fearing are not foods to be feared at all. Um, so I really love that part of what I do is helping them, you know, reframe their mindset towards these foods so they can start having these foods again and just like normalizing them. I love that. That's truly like the way to do it because I mean, I don't, the one time I, I had just somebody ask me in a very like demeaning way, like how could anyone be afraid of bread? Bread was like a food fear. And I'll throw that one out there. I won't say like any others, but I just feel like that's such a like common one that it's not hopefully going to trigger anybody. It was a big food fear of mine. I now eat it once, twice, multiple times a day. I fucking love bread. But I had somebody once say to me, like, I don't understand how someone could be afraid of bread, you know? And they said it in a very condescending way. I also had people in the past, you know, whether it was in treatment or program, whatever, just sort of be like, just kind of like feel that pressure of like, it's just a food, like it's just food, just eat it, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, that doesn't help. All that does is like, makes me want to like shut off and internalize everything more. Right. So to have somebody like talk through it like that, as you're saying, really like lay it out there, like why, like, you know, maybe like just like exploring why this food fear started in the first place, what, what's fearful about it to you. What do you think, like, what, what's kind of driving this fear? Is it misinformation? You know, like, influencers, whatever, like, what is that? And then having your background to be able to reframe that, like how powerful, I mean, knowledge is power and to know sort of like, to really like accept and know why you're afraid of something. And then to know and accept maybe like the truth of the matter, you know, like whatever it is about the food, like I can only imagine that's very powerful. And I feel like that probably would have helped me much more than the years it took to overcome certain fear foods. So, um, I, I absolutely love that approach with it. Yeah. And I think it's important to say that everybody's struggles with food are valid. Like no matter if you've been diagnosed or not diagnosed, like if you know that you're struggling with your relationship with food, I just want you to know that like, it's hundred percent valid. And no matter, even if you've received comments from people saying like, that's not something to be scared about. Like, why do you struggle with this? And it's like, you didn't just wake up one day saying, I want to struggle with food. Like I, I want these problems. It's like, no, like a lot of people don't realize that if you're struggling with food, it's likely not just about the food. Like it's, it's so much more than that. Like a lot, like majority of the time it's often deeper rooted. And that's something I also like to explore with my clients is like, what else is going on that maybe the food is a manifestation of? Hmm. I love that. What, what are some common things that you see kind of manifest with that? I'm curious, like if it's like anxiety, depression, like life instances, events, I guess, what are maybe just like some common things that you kind of see kind of, you know, go along with disordered eating or eating disorders or just like kind of, you know, 
almost seeking like that control factor through the food. Yeah. So definitely body image, I think is Mm. really at the root for a lot of people. Um, I mean, nobody goes on a diet because it sounds fun. Like nobody just starts cutting foods because it's like, oh, like I just want to do this. It's like some, most often the time it's like, because you want to control your body, you want to lose weight, you want to look a certain way. And so people use food as an exercise, as a way to kind of, I guess, get that control that they feel like they need. Um, So that's definitely a big one I would say. And then kind of just off, off of that, just control in general. Some people maybe it didn't stem from body image, but it became about that because you just wanted to control something in your life. So I, I see that a lot too, if, especially for anybody who feels like they are struggling with more other, like other mental health issues, like with anxiety and depression, um, that control factor that you get with food, um, it definitely makes a lot of sense. I know I was like thinking, and I'm wondering if you see this, but like you were giving those examples and I was thinking, I was like, I also see it I now see it in others. Right. And I I'll see when people are like in the college era, you know, and like, there's so much like out of control and blah, blah, blah. And like body image, so much of this stuff, I feel like stems then. And then also like, even personally, I've had people in my life go through like break a lot of breakups recently and the amount of them that have turned to controlling their food and body image in the midst of a breakup is just like, it just like floors me. Like it is, I, I didn't realize I haven't been around so many people going through breakup until like this stage of my life. And like, wow. Like, I, I mean, I can imagine, I feel for them so deeply, but like, it's just wild that like need for control we feel and how we, how it manifests in these ways, I suppose. Yeah, no, that's, that's actually really true. And I would even say too, if you're somebody who has that perfectionism type A personality that food definitely can be something that you don't want to like go down that rabbit hole of like trying to control because it definitely can manifest in a very obsessive way. And, um, yeah, no, I I would definitely say that you have to be really mindful about like not, or I guess, I mean, it's not something you can really control, but like at least being aware of like, if you start to notice that, you know, food is starting to become obsessive, then really just checking in with yourself. Um, and then, you know, reaching out for help if you need it. Yeah. I love that. And I, I want to go back to a few of the sort of like, not smaller, but because they, they can be bigger issues as well, but things that we see like portrayed in the media, um, portrayed in our life in general that can be deemed as quote unquote healthy. But I know personally, like you talk about these all the time. And like you said before, you have like a broad yet specific range when it comes to like sharing your knowledge. So can we talk a bit about when it comes to the general idea about like, fasting, skipping meals, like coffee for a meal. And I know I love, you will always share like an early morning that you're having breakfast before a workout or like, it's okay to eat before like a long day or, you know, like you're just so great at sharing and reminding me too, that, you know, food and nourishing our bodies is like important. And if we're living a life where like, we're forced to be like skipping meals and running on empty because of whatever factor, like we might need to stop and reconsider. Right. So I guess, could we just talk a bit about maybe like the health implications and what's happening when we are skipping meals, whether intentionally or just because we were so caught up in life, um, whether that's with fasting, kind of like meal replacement hacks, stuff like that. I just want to kind of like bring some awareness around what can happen and what does happen when we partake in those activities. Yeah. Okay. I really hate the idea of skipping meals because 
especially for women, I think it's really important for women to understand that when you are skipping breakfast, for example, like you have gone so many hours at night fasting through sleep. Like you're probably not eating while you're sleeping. So I'm pretty sure that you're, you're probably going like eight to 12 hours without food given your last meal. And when you're waking up, your body is in this fasted state. So going to work out on an empty stomach or going to work on empty stomach and then like not having, you know, your first meal until like noon or like 11, your body's like prolonging that fast. And what happens is this can drive up your stress hormones like cortisol and actually downregulate your really important hormones like estrogen and progesterone, because, you know, and this is a really common with women who struggle with missing period is like, they're kind of putting their body in this like chronic fight or flight mode. Um, and so I'm really passionate about showing women that your body does better when it's fueled, like your body does better when you have breakfast, because not only will it help to regulate your blood sugar, but it's also going to be more supportive to you hormonally and metabolically. And this also will help prevent binging later on or feeling that ravenous shaky feeling that you get maybe when you do skip meals. Um, because your body does better fueled. So I know like intermittent fasting is like super trendy and you hear it about it all the time of like having like just coffee for breakfast. But reality is, is like a lot of these studies on intermittent fasting are done on men, not women who are in the reproductive years who actually need to be regularly fed um, on a regular basis. So for anybody's listening, like, I think it's super important to understand that like having breakfast is actually a super important part of your day. And, you know, eating every three to four hours after that is also super important because again, the same stress response can happen if you are just like going really long hours without eating. And I saw this, um, for me personally, when I was going through like my own struggles with food and my, like I had like HA for years, um, missing period for those who don't know that is, um, is that when you just start feeling your body with enough and more consistent, more consistently that you just feel better overall, like mentally, physically, and you're giving your body what it actually needs. I love that. And I mean, going off of that, can we discuss a bit with like hunger cues? Because I know as you were, as you were describing all of that, what came to mind for me is that I, I had my brief stint of trying intermittent fasting like years ago. And what I found happened after, you know, pushing myself to try it for however long was that it felt like my hunger cues were just like weird, whack, right? Like I remember before I'd always wake up hungry in the morning and I would usually try to like eat before my workout, or I would only be able to do like a small workout because I'd get so hungry and fatigued. I had to eat. Right. So, but then after like, kind of like messing with my hormones and body regulations, I realized that my hunger cues were just like off weird, right? Like I, I wasn't feeling hungry. And then all of a sudden I'd be like starving. And then I'd be like, kind of like overeating and it would happen even throughout the day. Like I just, I would work through lunch because I wasn't like feeling hunger cues. And then all of a sudden I'd be like ravenous and it would just be like a cycle. And I feel like I'm slowly shifting it back. And I'm now like waking up hungry again, stuff like that. But what advice do you have for people that just feel maybe like their hunger cues are off or they don't you know, like they just don't know. Cause I, I feel like it's hard sometimes to eat if you're not feeling hungry, right? Like you just kind of get caught up in life. And especially if you wake up in the morning and you're not hungry. And so you're like, oh, well, let me get a jump start in my day. But then that turns into five hours later, you still haven't eaten. So can mm-hmm. you talk a bit about like hunger cues, maybe like what, 
what they are exactly, how to feel them, how to maybe regulate them again? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, my biggest recommendation is you're not going to, I mean, especially if you are somebody who's not used to having consistent meal times that, yeah, it's probably not going to feel natural to have breakfast if you're somebody who's not used to having breakfast. So start small, like don't start with like having this big breakfast to start your day. Like you have to maybe take like baby steps in order for those hunger cues to come back. And the more that you do this, like the more that you just start having even just like a small snack to begin with in the morning, you're at least giving your body something and something is better than nothing, I would say. Um, So start small and really make sure that you are just eating consistently throughout the day. And those hunger cues will start to come back. Um, And, you know, if you are just concerned too with like, am I eating enough? Like, I would definitely say like, if you are thinking about food all day, if you feel like you, at the end of the day, you just can't stop eating or you're, you're turning to all these snacks. Um, if you feel like you're hungry an hour after eating, then you maybe need to look at like your meals and the composition of your meals, such as like the macronutrients that are present at those meals and really just see like, are you eating enough for your body? And this is something that I kind of do work with my clients, like more on a personal basis, but I definitely would say that each or most meals should have a, a pretty good ratio of the like carbs, proteins, and fats to better support just overall energy levels, to support your blood sugar, um, to prevent those, I guess, like hangry crashes that tend to happen if you're not eating enough. Um, and over time, like I said, those hunger and fullness cues will start to regulate without you having to forcefully do anything different. Uh, yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, I think this is like an interesting topic because I, I kind of do like what you just said, right? Like I I have a general idea of what fuels my body properly, but I'm not, I'm with that though. I'm not obsessing over the fact if I don't have a protein or if I don't Mm -hmm. have fat or counting calories or anything like that. However, I know there are like, you know, a lot of people who also they're like, so in the intuitive eating thing. And they also bring up the importance of like the reminder that not every meal has to be quote unquote, like balanced or built in this way. Right. And I think that's like part of this journey as well as finding being okay for the times when maybe you're out with friends or all you have in your house is, you know, X, Y, Z. And so, yeah, you're just having like, uh, you know, a sandwich. And so, yeah, maybe it doesn't have like as much fat and protein as you are typically doing, but it's like what you have in the moment. Right. Mm-hmm. But otherwise I do, I love that idea of just like, you know, also being aware that if, your body's not quite feeling right. Or for those struggling with like health issues, right? Like blood sugar, you know, regulation or thyroid stuff, whatever it be, just having like a broad awareness of right broad, maybe not specific, but broad awareness about how to build a meal to really like keep you going and, you know, just feeling good. So I think that's like a really important balance to not even balance, you know, is a hearsay, but (laughs) it's, it's an important thing I think to kind of at least have in your mind, you know, that give and take between each side. Mm -hmm. And I would say too, that like intuitive eating is definitely a journey and it's about learning what's going to work best for your body, not what somebody else is eating, not what other people are doing, but really just learning your body because everybody's going to respond to food differently as well. Somebody may need more food than somebody else. Somebody may um, not do well with like three big meals a day. Maybe they need more snacks. So it's really just a journey about learning what's going to work best for you in a non-diet or in a, in a, yeah, in a non-diet lens. Mm -hmm. 
And then I kind of wanted to touch on this topic. So we've been talking about a lot of like the struggles and things that people might be experiencing, thinking, et cetera. But I think another part of this is also like living with these struggles, these thoughts, et cetera. And part of that is interacting and communicating with others, right? So a big thing I've been currently working through is just how to be a bit more like open and communicative when I'm experiencing these struggles or whatever it is and I'm around other people. So do you have any advice, thoughts, perspective on how to maybe like have these types of conversations with people in your life or just even be able to communicate like something you're struggling with, whatever it might be. Um, I imagine, you know, if people are able to work with somebody like you, that can kind of be like an outlet for them or somewhere where they can feel supported. But otherwise, would you have any like advice for that? Yeah, no, it really depends too if you feel comfortable or like who you are going to share that information with, really making sure that, you know, the people that you are going to be opening up to about it um, do support you in like all, all the ways possible. Um, and I would say too, like if it is somebody who genuinely cares about you and like wants to help, you know, having that open conversation and just really being like open and honest about what you need them to, or how you need them to support you, I think can go a long way and just strengthening that relationship that you have with them because the person, you know, that you're telling these things to is probably going to feel so honored that you're, you know, you, you're going to be vulnerable with them. And I would say too, that like, you know, choosing somebody who's going to be a safe person to tell these things to, and also just knowing your boundaries with what you feel like sharing with them. And just, you know, if you, if you just want somebody to say, Hey, like, want to go grab an ice cream with me. Like I need that accountability to like go challenge this food. Or, you know, if you are struggling with like challenging a fear food or something like that, just say, Hey, like, I know this is like really difficult for me. Can you just, you know, eat this with me? Or can you um, just tell me it's okay? Like, I think just like in whatever you feel like you need from that person, just be open and communicate with that with them. Mm, That's so, yeah, that's absolutely amazing. And I love that. I, I feel like I've been slowly doing that more just like telling a friend, like, I really want to order this, but like, I'm feeling like very anxious today. Can we maybe like split it or something like that? You know? So I love that so, so much. And I, I think it, it is like an important step in any sort of healing journey is when you're able to openly communicate like some aspect of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're not just like internalizing it all. So exactly. I absolutely love that. Um, I guess as we sort of like start to wrap things up here because my zoom meeting is about to expire apparently don't know what happened there um <laughs> i guess do you have any other sort of just like advice expertise thoughts messages you want to share with people lately when it comes to like this realm of recovery disordered eating eating disorder especially with summer coming up i know there's a lot a lot of pressure you know around body image and what to eat and what others are eating and all of that. So is there anything that you just, maybe it's something you've shared recently, whatever it is, like a last bit of wisdom that you want to share? Yeah. For anybody listening who may be struggling with their relationship with food or not really feeling confident going into the summer, I just want you to know that like putting yourself first, whatever that may be for you, is going to be the best thing that you can do. So whether it be investing yourself in like getting a therapist or a dietitian to help you, I think can really go a long way for just 
paving the path for the rest of the year. Like as soon as you start to take the time to recognize what your struggles are and not be ashamed of them and, you know, use whatever you're struggling with as kind of like a chance to grow and learn from, I think it really, it just kind of allows you to grow as a person. And, you know, there's nothing to be ashamed about when it comes to struggling with your relationship with food. Um, so definitely reach out to somebody if you do need it. And when it comes to like, you know, the whole summer body thing, like we need to stop with that. Like, (laughs) I just, I'm so sick of like hearing about it every single year and it's just exhausting. Like, I feel like the more women that just go out and just wear a swimsuit, you're actually like showing other women that they can be confident too. So instead of trying to, you know, change your body or slim down or whatever it is, just show up as you, because I'm sure that you are inspiring other women to do the same. A hundred percent. And I think a big part of that also comes down to if you're feeling some sort of way, pressure, whatever it is, like also thinking on who you're spending that time with, you know, I mean, I don't know. I know I've been in, I've been with people and in group settings where I did feel extreme pressure of how I looked. And it was because of other things being said or whatever it was, mindsets of those people. And then like, I was just reflecting on this the other day, the group of people I'm with, like my close friends now and the people I will be in a swimsuit with this summer, I zero fucks to give, you know, like I, I do not care. You know, I know that there's no thought of my body, anything like that. And I feel like that's just like another empowering piece is like reflecting on the people you have around you, especially if you're engaging in like some of these activities that might trigger some part of you, right? Like whether it's being in a swimsuit, eating certain foods, going out to eat, facing fear, like whatever it is, I think having like a community or, or following people on social media that remind you of like stuff like this is so, so important. Yes. I definitely agree with you. And it's just reminding me too, I probably need to find a swimsuit, (laughs) right? I know we're talking about this and I, I was thinking in my head of the one swimsuit I've been in for the past, like two years. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I'm like, except like, yeah. like, yeah, you know what though? Maybe get time to get some new colors, <laughs> but yeah, I love that. Oh, and that, I mean, that alone swimsuit shopping, if, there, if that's triggering for you, I also feel for you as well. Anyone listening. Um, but just a reminder, clothes fit you. You do not have to be changing fit clothes and yeah. Exactly. Yeah. What a season. (laughs) Right. Thank you so, so much for coming on today. Um, Where can people find you, connect, learn more? You're one of my favorites to follow and you're a phenomenal human being. I can say that from meeting and she always comes in two hands. So I see her all the time and we're both named Emily. So this is just a great connection right here. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for saying that. You're so sweet. Um, so yeah, um, if you want to find me, you can find me on Instagram, which is um, at Emmy's Yummy. So it basically is spelled exactly how it sounds. And you can also find me on my website, which can be found um, at emmysyummysnutrition.com. Um, so yeah, feel free to reach out to me if you ever if you ever need it. 